0: Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, April the 2nd, 2019. Spring has finally sprung in New York City, and we have a lot of show for you today. But before then, we'd like to remind you of this one eternal truth. A girl in trouble is a temporary thing. We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Wow, I forgot how much I love, 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 love this song. This was actually my signature tune for many, 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 many years. When I was a girl who used to get into some trouble. That song was called A Girl in Trouble is a Temporary Thing by the group Romeo Void from their Instincts album in 1984. And now, we are going to play next a song that our guest artist this week picked to open this episode. And we're back again with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That song was called Scream Out by punk band The Unseen from their State of Discontent album in 2005. Now, you may be wondering what A Girl in Trouble and Scream Out may possibly have in common. Well, wait no longer, kids, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Aguas, Guest Artist of the Week! Woohoo! More stories behind the stories of people, artists whose narratives have traditionally been discarded, dismissed, or devalued. We have a wonderful guest artist this week. I am very excited to introduce to you stand up storyteller and writer Sammy
1: James! Hi everybody.
0: So Sammy, I asked this question of everyone when we when we begin our chat, how and where did we meet?
1: Ah, so we met at a storytelling show at the Tank in Manhattan. Um, called You Roar, I Roar. Oh,
0: Becca Bebaragi's show. That's right. Yeah, that was a great show.
1: And I I think I'd seen you um, before and I'd heard your name a bunch, but that was the first time that um, we performed together or like, you know, actually met and got to speak to each other. Yeah,
0: in the same room. So how long have you been doing storytelling? Um,
1: let's see. Not as long as I've been doing stand-up. Um... And my stock answer for stand-up is, like, four or five years. But I think I've been saying that for a while. Before, have you been saying it for four or five no, years? No, no, <laughs> not quite. But I've been doing s- storytelling for maybe three. Mm. And it's, um... I've had so many hiatuses in my career for, like, multiple reasons that, like... If it's how long I've been doing them uh, all together... Yeah, um... Yeah, stand-up, five years, storytelling, maybe four four or three.
0: And they just blend so seamlessly, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But right now, I want to know a little bit about your origins, Sammy. From your um, cadence of speech, I'm going to guess that you're from East Coast? Yeah. So where were you born? Where were you from?
1: Uh-huh. I was born in Central Jersey, and I still live in Central Jersey. So you're a Jersey girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what town? Um it's called Edison. Is it close to the city? Um it's close enough there's no real issues with me taking the train. In oh okay. As, as often as I do.
0: So was your typical like suburban childhood that you had kind of sorta?
1: Yeah yeah.
0: Where was your family from?
1: Um well my mom I think her parents may have been on the east coast if i'm remembering this right but my mom is from the west coast she's from california born and raised, and my dad uh, from Connecticut.
0: Wow. I love so. it when I have Caucasian people on the show and I say, where are you from? And they say, like, what state or, like, hey, province they're from. I'm, I, and you I'm ask, a boring white person. <laughs> but when, like, you, I, when you ask a person of color, listen, you get really detailed, like, my mother's from Granada, and my father is half <laughs> Panamanian and half Chinese, but then... <laughs> wait, wait, what did you call yourself again? Oh, I'm a boring white person. Oh, my God, you were anything but boring. Please trust me. Do you
1: have siblings? Yes, I have uh, a brother and a sister, both older than me. Did
0: a baby? Yeah. Ah, uh-huh. with, with all its perks and uh, problems. <laughs> now, every, yeah. every birth order that has proper child. So, did you come from a education or artistic oriented family?
1: I don't know if it, if I'd say oriented, but it was absolutely any artistic interest was encouraged were either of your parents like hobby artists or
0: any other like members
1: of your extended Uh, family my my dad is actually a potter really and he's done that for years um i think i might have been like 10 when he when he started that and his so
0: So he has like a studio like in his house like with a kiln and everything
2: yeah
1: yeah, he has a wheel he has a kiln
0: so is his house and everybody's house filled with all his wonderful creations?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we all have we all have his pots somewhere. Wow, <laughs> that's so amazing! Does he show them at like those little art fairs? He does some craft shows. He does art sales. Um, he's displayed them at our local library. Wow! Uh, so he's an artist? No, no, abs- absolutely. Yeah, he's absolutely yeah. an artist. I mean, what does he do for for money? Uh well my dad is currently retired.
0: Oh okay. Oh so he has all the yeah, time no, to make all the
1: art. He 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 spends time with his dog and makes pots. Oh my god,
0: what a great <laughs> life. Wow.
1: How about your mom? Um she has always had artistic interests. I I think, and especially literary. And both both of my parents are Huge, huge, avid readers. Mm. Like, I'm amazed, like, I read a lot, but my mom seems to read three books a week almost, it, it seems. And she she encouraged my writing uh, when I was younger.
0: Are you the only sibling that pers- that's pursuing
1: an artistic career? Um, professionally-ish, yes. But, uh, so my brother is actually a published author. Wow, that's really really cool. So, when did you join the weirdos? <laughs> I day 1. No, no, but uh being a writer was always the goal from like as young as I could remember. Wow. I I was like I'm going to write a book and then um
3: and, what, do you and, know
1: how old you were when you when you made that declaration? Oh, like six. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I want to write a book, and then in high school I tried to write a book, and this this is hard. And I have attempted. I write. i write a lot of short stories, but I feel like every couple of years I'll attempt a novel, and then just I have so many one third done not manuscripts um but i share um, my writing with with friends i go to a writer's group but it's it's almost like i write for myself Mm. writing was always something i wanted to do i just haven't been able to do Uh, as much with that as my other uh, artistic...
0: Well, yet,
1: anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're
0: young. (laughs) You are young, 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 young. So through grammar school and high school, would you say you had a typical suburban childhood?
1: Probably. I mean, I was not a very social... I had a friend group, but kind of stayed on the peripheral of all like Mm. social interaction just as like someone who was in the closet for you know listeners i am a queer gender non-conforming gender queer trans woman i was not out as any of those things Well, wow. and um, when and, did and you know for yourself <laughs> that that's what you were to some extent before high school you know so high high school was was tough and it, it was weird and it's I didn't know those words. I knew something was going on, like, young young. And then in high school, I first heard about trans people, but the trans women who I was, like, seeing examples of were like, I was already like, yeah, no, that is not, that is not what I am. Like, that is, that is what I am. But if that's what someone like me needs to be, then I guess I'm not that. So I guess I'll keep pretending to be a boy. Also, I, w- I was an athlete, not in school, but I was a martial artist um, almost my entire life, pretty much my entire life wow. until I came out. Which discipline? It was karate, wow. but I was essentially um, training for MMA. Um, you really? And that was oh my That God. was honestly other than right. I had, like, f- there were, like, four career paths that kind of, like, stand-up um, was always going to be something that, like, I'd like to do that. The, you know, I'd like to try that, but I, I had, like, these career paths in my head that I, you know... Was convinced. I'm going to do one of these. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a vet. Or I'm going to be a professional fighter. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And no. Still no. Which part of that. Was a hundred percent interest. I grew. You know. I had grown up. You know. In the martial arts. I loved it. And I was good at it. But part of that was uh, absolutely part of me being like, okay, if I do that, that is guaranteeing I can n- I will never say this thing to someone. Yeah, <laughs> you know it was I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because yeah, I like this, but that is also a guarantee that that thing will never be said. <laughs> You know, in
0: an alternate life, you would have been the fiercest friggin' MMA fighter. You would have been the one, like,
1: yeah, you dude. would have been the
0: most brutal one. I really, I, I could see that killing.
1: I mean, and that was, mm. no one no one wanted to spar me. Oh, there's a, there's a, well, because I was so angry. And you, there's a wolf behind your eyes. I was so, I was so angry growing up that I got, I got, like... Told I had to leave the, you know, martial arts studio a bunch of times growing up. Because it's just like, okay, you need to either calm down, you need to either go, you know, lighter, or you need to go home. So you were, like, trying to kill people? (laughs) I mean, yeah, because I was just, I was so full of rage as a kid that, like, it would be bottled up. And I would, you know, just hold it in all day and then i would go to karate class and i would kick someone in the ribs <laughs>
0: oh my and of course you were a kid so you don't have any any tools yeah. for filtering you you're just yeah. like i hurt let me get rid of the hurt mhm so were your parents and siblings aware of all this turmoil going on inside you uh, and if so were they
1: helpful they i hope you know in high school it was i think That by the time puberty hit, you know, because that's when it became something that, like, I couldn't deal with. As a kid, as a little kid, I knew something was going on, but it didn't matter. Because I was just like, well, I'm not a boy, but, you know, and it was so much this thing that, and it feels ridiculous... To me as an adult to look back on. But of course it's not. And of course a little kid is going to think this. But I'm like, okay, everyone thinks I'm a boy. But when I start puberty, I'm going to get what I'm supposed to.
3: Oh my <laughs> and it was God. then
1: like, tw- like 12, I kind of was just like, okay, this is in middle school. I was a wreck. And I, th- I didn't know how to talk about any of this. um, And I think that my... The fact that I was in turmoil for some parts of my life... Because it was kind of like 12 and 13, turmoil. 14 and 15, deep in the closet, kind of oh, outwardly, you know, pleasant person. And then... 16 to 18 turmoil. And wow. I think that my my family and my parents and friends of mine absolutely could tell something was going on and would try to talk like what's going on and I'd say I'm fine.
3: <laughs> oh, because
1: like I'm like I don't know how to ta- how to say this to you and you know and I tell my mom, you know, I t- I tell people when I came out, because I, I came out in my early 20s, I said, you know, I've known the whole time. And when I came out, I succumbed to pressure, and I was tried to be very feminine when I transitioned and, you know, started all all of those things. But it just wasn't something I could keep up. It was this honeymoon period, this wonderful period, until... It felt as much like a lie as when I pretended to be a boy. But I would tell my mom when I I came out, this is what I'm dealing with was so confusing. If I had been straight, if I had been straight, if I had been attracted to men or been super feminine, I'd have come out immediately. But because I had these other things to do, to like confuse me, it wasn't till my twenties that I saw. It. I'm like, oh, there are queer trans women, and I forget names. But the first time I saw a but, like a masculine presenting trans woman was like a little while after I came out. I'm like, oh my god, I'm not the only one. I was- it was kind of, it was freeing. Oh, someone's already done this.
0: <laughs> well, the hardest thing for anyone who's the other. Yeah. For anyone who's considered the other, the hardest thing is realizing that or finding out that, no, you're not alone. Yeah. Because when you're very, very young, you don't have the tools for that type of reflection. So yeah. you just think, I'm, I'm weird or yeah. in worst case scenarios, I'm bad. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that'll lead someone yeah. to like, to, to abuse substances and mm-hmm. stuff.
1: Yeah. And no, and I mean, I, I had a drinking problem. Yeah. And I mean, it. I'm lucky enough that I do consider myself six years sober uh, at this point. Because I was lucky enough to be able to stop drinking before it totally hit rock bottom wow good for you but a hundred a hundred percent it was i would have a bad day and i would immediately look for something well
0: because you want to numb it you want to numb the pain no i i I think any any person that has any type of empathy or compassion will has gone through something where they felt like they needed to get numb
1: yeah i cut that out and i don't use any um substances
0: um well, tea yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> clink a lot of prescription drugs <laughs>
0: <laughs> so are, are you good with your parents and your siblings everybody's good with you you're yeah, in a good place no, with everybody I, I think, people were accepting absolutely, and loving absolutely
1: it was oh. definitely it was definitely you know it was rocky when i came out but i I feel very lucky and privileged um, to have the family. Uh, yeah, no,
0: the support is that, is that, like that. That's I like... have.
1: There was definite confusion. I think my sister might have been the only one who wasn't completely confused. You know, my mom, she wasn't as confused when she realized that queer trans women are a thing. But she was like, you know, I. Maybe saw signs, but you always liked girls. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. yeah." But, you know, I I feel like I had to come out and be, have that feminine period in order to be myself. Just like I couldn't really start having real relationships until after I came out. Just like I keep talking about finding women attractive, I am bisexual, but I couldn't come out as bi or recognize that in myself till I'd been through all of these other journeys.
0: No, it makes sense. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it the path to, to for want of a better term, self-realization or whatever, sometimes it's a very circuitous mm-hmm. route that makes stops in different places. So... Then I'm going to assume that your writing became a place of refuge <laughs> yeah. and a source of comfort.
1: Yeah. Ab- absolutely. And in fact, you know, during my period of being in the closet, anytime I'm writing something that's a little too close to home, the <laughs> the main character uh, is a girl, and I, I think it's because it need, you know, it like puts this distance, and then. I would, then years later, I'm like, no, no, that's, it wasn't for distance. It was because that's what it was. So you were,
0: you were working out on the page, what you really couldn't work out in your mind or your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Did you take that to college with you? By college,
1: all of this, like, potential that I had built from high school was kind of wasted, I feel like, because I just, I was not a good college student. I was lost, you know attempted a bunch of things, but you know, and I, I got the, um, veterinary assistant certification.
0: Did you do that as a job when you got out? No,
1: cause right after I finished that, I came out and I was already doing dog walking. So I just turned that into my job and I would tell people, I also have this veterinary assistant certification. And then inside my head, I'd say that I don't really remember anything of. But this is an extra perk that might let me walk your dog. I can give uh, CPR to a dog. Wow! I, I do still remember that. I think
0: that's that's an amazing skill.
1: That's probably not a good thing to amend with. I think.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> <But> right, right. <laughs> well, we you know, we can cut out the I
2: think. Yeah, <laughs> well, and I know.
1: So I know how to give CPR to a dog. And to give CPR to a cat. But the thing is, one you do one way, and one you do another way, and I don't remember which is which. Oh my gosh, so So this is different? So I can either save your cat or kill your cat. Oh my god. (laughs) And I I continued with that until I couldn't do that anymore. I got sick. I have a kind of nervous system disorder. The nerves in my arms and legs and the like pathways to the spine don't always communicate that well, so I walk with a cane about seventy percent of the time now when it started, it was thirty percent of the time, yeah, so I you know my legs move on their own sometimes um do
0: are they still trying to figure out what it is? do they know I mean, what it is?
1: It's- they know they know what it is, but there's when you get into neuromuscular diseases, there's so many subtypes of things. I'm on the medication and doing the exercises that I'm supposed to be doing for what I have, and that's you know all that really matters to me.
0: God, do you ever like <laughs> do you ever like throw your fist at the sky and say?
1: Rah! My my illness gets gets frustrating sometimes. But honestly, um, it's. I feel like most of the time I'm like, I got this. It's like, this fucking sucks, but you know, I, I can take what you throw at me. And it's uh, at some point in my life, I might be in a wheelchair. At some point in my life, I might get such and such symptom, and I'm kind of like... Okay, I'll deal with that when it happens. Right. I'll figure it out. Because it's Mike. I have figured so many things out. I can figure another thing out. (laughs)
0: Meanwhile, she's looking up at my ceiling. (laughs) I mean, it's just that, you know, for someone so young, Sammy, you have basically gone through, like, the lifetime of someone that's 117. Has it made you an old soul?
1: You know, I've had people say this to me. Really? And I've I've had someone tell me, "Oh, you've been around a couple of times." Well, because and like they just stopped and were like, "You've been around a couple of times." Wow! Wow!
0: Well, and yeah, <laughs> you,
1: you know but, You're, but, you're, you're uh, a fighter. were so- Absolutely, I get frustrated, and I've oh, I I get angry, and I'm you know I'm a mess, uh, you know sometimes.
0: You know, I said this earlier and I'm going to say it again. There is a wolf behind your eyes. There is. Don't mess with you.
1: I think I, you know, I get that from my, you know, things I've lived through. But that is also absolutely a family trait. And it is absolutely something about the women in my family. My, well, they- my mom is scary. Scary. I don't think she'd mind me saying this because it's a joke that me and her have between us that she's just like, you learned how to be a bitch for me.
0: Oh my <laughs> God, that
1: is funny. You know, because it's, you don't mess with my mom, you don't mess with my sister, and I, I guess you don't mess with me. It is rare that I let my anger show, but no, I'm, I, I've am i i scared some people.
0: <laughs> want to backtrack a little bit and get sure. back to your writing, so... Well, college was just like still turmoil for you because you were still figuring yeah. stuff out. Were you yeah. writing this whole time?
1: Yeah. And in fact, um, so I usually tell people that I've done stand up for five years, but I actually first tried standup, uh, when I was 21. Oh, okay. And I did that for a year and a half.
0: In New Jersey, in your town? Yeah. Like yeah. just like those little clubs and yep. stuff around there?
1: Yep. And then I disappeared for two years. Was that
0: when you became ill?
1: Well, no, that was when I came out. Also, I've, I always wanted to come back to stand-up, but I was so like, I don't want to be a trans comic. I don't want to talk about this on stage. And then years later, I went back to stand-up. Um, I do queer material. I do tall material. I'd do all these things. Tall
0: um, material.
1: Oh, <laughs> hey, it, there's a lot of it.
0: I believe it. I know, there's, but there's petite material,
1: too. <laughs> I know, ab- Absolutely. Yeah, so stand up for five years, um, but I've I've been doing trans material for three of it.
0: So when did you start performing regularly, and how did you come about storytelling?
1: Um, so I I'd say I, I started getting back into stand up um, five years ago. Um, every, every once in a while, and then
0: was there a tipping point that made you decide to do it again and like really pursue? I could
1: not. Like, I just, it was, just, I'd been bitten by the bug, and it was, it was getting at me, and every once in a while, I'd go to this queer open mic um, in a nearby town, and I'd do stand up there, and I was just, and then I was kind of like, you know what, I, got, I gotta just do this. I gotta do this. Yeah. Did for you- did- Five years, you know, for five years since then, I've 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 been doing it, and it was maybe- um, three years ago, that I did my first storytelling show.
0: Wow, wow! And did you feel at home when you were doing stand? Did you feel like that was like this is where I belong?
1: Yeah, there is some version of myself that just comes out on stage. Just I'm a I'm good at a conversation. I'm not good at a party. But something goes through another transformation as soon as I step on stage. I I am another person who is doing you know i don't want to say that's what i'm supposed to be doing because i don't know that that's true but that's definitely something that i i'm super comfortable with
0: so that's that's interesting because so many people have the fear of being in front of a crowd and you just mm-hmm. like give me the crowd
1: oh uh, i'm my fear is being in the crowd ah. i i am such a, i am such an introvert I'm great in a one-on-one conversation, but any b- me before any show I've I've ever done, me before any set or story, I'm just quiet, sitting in the corner by myself. If someone wants to talk to me, I'll have a conversation, but that's just... <laughs> so
0: once you started doing it again again, yeah. you, you expanded from Jersey into yeah. the city.
1: And it was also, it was when I started doing stand-up again, I didn't want to see people who knew that person even though like that person never really got successful at stand up but even like now i've absolutely run into people who i knew as that person if someone were to come up to me and want to talk about it i'd do it but you know yeah but it, and why, it, it hasn't happened <laughs>
0: right and like and why would you yeah you, right <laughs> i mean you know it, it, all people go through all different kinds of changes in their own way during their maturing years and even still when you're mature yeah (laughs) so you know sometimes like like that's not the defining point of view so why talk about it Yes,
1: that was eight years ago that I i first did an open mic but i don't remember any of the jokes that I did as that person. I don't remember any of it. My memory of anything like previously is so scattered because it was a defense mechanism. I dissociated for so much of my life before coming out.
0: What was the first storytelling show that you saw? Oh.
1: That I saw.
0: Yeah, I, I, I I want to know like what was the tipping point that you went to a storytelling show and you were like, hmm,
1: I can do this. It's is probably the moth.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can't remember when or where. I think I, I think I actually heard a moth story slam.
0: Oh right, because they have the podcast and the yeah. radio hour now. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I love storytelling. Like I love stand up. But like, there's like two different energies that I, br- that I bring, I feel like And I, I, I intermingle the two I think I definitely, my stand-up has stories in it And my storytelling has punchlines in it But I, I do think that there is like a diverging energy um, For like, the, that I bring to the two different shows
0: Expand upon that a little bit So how is Sammy the stand-up different than Sammy the storyteller? You brought it up.
1: I know. Oh, I know I did. Oh, I know
3: I did.
0: Huh. I'd... Is, is it kind of like the martial arts thing? Are you like more for the juggler when you're a, when you're a stand-up and wanting to like be... <laughs> you know,
1: I, I actually think that it's the opposite of what you'd think it would be. Because I think that I'm more soft-spoken and like um, subdued. In stand-up. And I think I I bring like a louder energy to my storytelling.
0: That's really cool. Because Maybe. you would think that it would be the I, opposite. No, absolutely. Like most people with most stand-ups that do <coughs> storytelling, their kinder, gentler side is in the story and their wolf is in, yeah, in the
1: stand-up. I, 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 at least that's how it's felt recently. You know, because I think in the past week I've done a storytelling show and two stand-up shows... And it was definitely I felt I kinda of felt that.
0: Do you ever do storytelling and stand up in the same night? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I mean I feel like I I feel like either way I'm doing both on stage.
0: Yes. You know? So do what but what adjustments performance wise or <clears throat> mentally do you need to make I'm I'm interested because I have yeah. so many stand ups mm-hmm. that do storytelling and both well yeah. and yeah. the skill sets are similar <clears throat>
1: but different. Yeah. And I I don't treat them that different, but I do think that, and the way I'm saying this might not be how I mean it, but I don't prepare as thoroughly for storytelling. I think that I have a much looser preparation for for storytelling, but like for stand-up, I need a set list in my back pocket. For storytelling, if I have something in my back pocket, it's like, Tell the cat story. You know, I don't have a cat story, but there's a random example.
0: Oh man, I was already to hear. I'm cat sure story. I
1: have a cat story. <laughs> Cats love me, that's the story.
0: Yes, they do. I can attest to that. When you do your storytelling, do you <coughs> write your stories out first or do you compose them in your head?
1: They're mostly in my head.
0: You have know. you put any of them on paper? Yes. Are you thinking about maybe doing some longer form stories going forward? Mm-hmm. Maybe perhaps a solo show? Has that I I've, I've done a mind? solo show. You have? Yes. Oh, when was it and what was it and why did I miss it?
1: Um, so I did last year I performed it three times. It was it's nice to feel wanted. And there there was definitely some stand up in it, but that was essentially the story of that I just talked to you about about my journey of, through internalized transphobia and getting this illness and just becoming com- comfortable with who i am
0: where did you do it was it I, like part of a I festival
1: did it uh i think all three were at the tank first one was part of this um monthly series that was happening there and the other two were part of the um Queer Fest and Story Fest. Ah, yes. I did it I did my solo show as the sa- as part of the same fest I met you at. Right, Story Fest. Yes.
0: Right, but okay, now I don't feel so bad that I didn't see it because I didn't really know you yet. Yeah. Woo! But now I have no excuse. <laughs> so I think this is the perfect time to say a little pescado, a little fish, tells me that you have a story to share for us, Sammy. Yeah. Alright. Sammy James and a story.
1: So I have a rule currently uh, for performing where I don't get on stage more than three nights in a row. And I have that rule because of this. (laughs) Because when I first started getting sick and was kind of in denial and, you know, kind of trying to will myself to be healthy, I had the bright idea to agree to seven straight nights of shows in Brooklyn or Queens. Uh, I come from Jersey, so I had was trying to think of how I would get um, to all of these shows and wasn't really looking forward to the prospect of walking to the train station, taking the train, getting off at Penn Station, taking the subway to to Astoria, taking it to Bushwick, taking it to Park Slope, you know, just night after night after night. And also, the day before this schedule, this hectic schedule, I was called by my dog's vet to tell me that she had to be brought back in Because she needed one more heartworm treatment. Which meant she was going to be there for a week. So that's one less thing to worry about. But one more thing to worry about. Luckily though, I had a friend who reached out to me. And said, so I'm in Williamsburg. If you want to stay with me uh, for that week. um, Which was a huge help. Or so I thought. Uh, So the thing is, I say friend, but she was really an acquaintance. And I say acquaintance, but she was really someone I've met four times. But I needed, I needed to do these shows. No, I didn't. And I could not cancel. Yes, I could have. And I've learned all of these things in the years since. But so I went to stay with her and I have some dietary restrictions. So I brought some like snack food of my own with me, you know, so it's one less thing to spend money on in Brooklyn. And then some things started happening where it just, our personalities clashed uh, and she, I, you know, couldn't get my space or, you know, my privacy, which... You know, that's to be expected saying with someone. Uh, and then, I come home from the first one of these shows to my bag, ransacked, and my dietary restriction food, all eaten. So that's rough. And so I call a friend of mine, this friend was coming to see my show, and say, hey, I'm coming back because uh, things got weird here. Which is code for she ate my food, our personalities clash, and I woke up to her touching me. (laughs) So what would have been a week staying in Brooklyn turned into two days staying in Brooklyn and then five more days of... Ending up walking to the train station, taking the train to Penn Station, taking the subway to Park Slope, taking it to Astoria, taking it to Williamsburg, and me learning, cancel a damn show if you need to cancel a show.
0: Oh my god, she, like, she got all like single white female on you, kind of. <laughs> like, you you actually woke up and this person was touching you? Yes. Like, touching you sexually? Yeah. <laughs> There were very few times in my life, Sammy, where I can say that I had been rendered totally and completely speechless. But the... the ah, So like, that,
1: that's, that's a debut story, work in progress. I'm sure yeah. it sounded like it. Um.
0: No. Okay, so is this person a person that, that we should be
1: aware of? Or if she was someone who... I felt I was at risk of doing this to another person. I would absolutely.
0: Oh, uh, you think that this person just had like a crush on you or something?
1: It's absolutely that.
0: Oh, so that so so and okay. So there's a that's that's a mitigating. Yes, but still, slightly, but not but really.
1: Still not okay.
0: No, no, no. You know what?
1: Uh, and I did know that going in.
0: Oh, you, know? you had a sense that she was crushing on you. Yeah. Mm. But, oh, but like, come on, like I don't know. I don't know what's worse.
1: And I let it. I was seeing someone at the time, and let her know that immediately. Oh, wow. So, so
0: you know. So it's like, like okay, I don't know what's worse. Get getting getting mauled in bed while you're sleeping by someone who like you don't want to be mauling you, or like having the the equal violation yeah. of having going in my bag. Yeah. It's like you know, going in my pants or going in my bag. It's like you know, you're getting yeah. my goodies yeah. either way.
1: And like, right? No, and it's it's, oh, it's also it's also when I learned, yeah, vet people you stay with. <laughs> wow.
0: So what's on the horizon for Sammy James coming up? And if people want to learn more uh-huh. about your storytelling and your stand up yes. and where where you'll be appearing. Where can they find you? Yeah,
1: so I have a monthly show in Jersey at the Pride Center of New Jersey in Highland Park. And that is the fourth Friday of every month. Uh, That is called Queerly Comedic. We have amazing lineups of queer and trans comics at that. Um, It's mostly LGBT, but if someone's not an asshole, I'm likely to book them. I just started a podcast called All of My Friends Are Animals. Every week I talk to a different person about a different animal. Uh, it could be their favorite animal. could be an animal they just found out about. And yeah, all, all of those episodes have been pretty great. And you can find that most places that you find podcasts. Do you have a website? Not currently, but um, personal website is in the works. I'm just a procrastinator. Uh,
0: Facebook, Twitter, IG? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, I have all of those things. Facebook is the only one that I update that regularly, but you can find all of those are, I'm pretty sure, at Sammy Sam James.
0: Okay. Well, you are an old soul because most people as young as you are all about the IG and the yeah, Twitter. I
1: ju- it's,
0: it's like only us ha- Gen I
1: have, X on, I
0: I on have Facebook. I have them.
1: I I have them. I have had Twitter for years. I made my first tweet six months ago.
0: Oh, God. You know, and
1: I, I have an Instagram that has n- never been used.
0: I found out something about Twitter recently, and I didn't really know this that to mm-hmm. excel at it, to be good at it, to get any traction with it, it's volume. It's yeah. like you have to yeah. be on it friggin' constantly. Yeah, and, and I, it's like, I
1: just, I, I don't.
0: No, me either. <laughs> me, you, you and me both. All right, like her on Facebook because you can. Because you can't follow her on Twitter and, and IG. I mean, you, <laughs>
1: you can, but it'll be like three months
0: in between <laughs> tweets. So I asked this question of everyone when we get towards the end of our chat. Okay. So Sammy, if you had any words of advice Warning or encouragement for a child or person who is maybe going through a similar situation as you did when you were very young. Okay. Or anyone who feels constrained by their either environment or circumstances and knows Mm -hmm. that there's so much more to them that they could offer. Yeah. But they're not sure how to get to that place. Mm -hmm. What would you tell this person?
1: You know, I... I think you are not alone seems kind of cliche to me, um, but that would definitely be part of it. And I think any kid just should be reminded and told that they're valid, whatever they're dealing with, um, just, you know, you're valid and you have something to give. If you have a talent or something that you aren't sure about, it might surprise you how well that is received by others and just keep going i know i had to say that to myself a lot growing up and i mean i don't know kids are something i care deeply about
0: wow i said earlier that i sense that you have a wolf behind your eyes but now i can see you have also a wolf's heart giant and
1: compassionate and full of
0: I just want to give you a hug. Oh, so thank you so much for being on Fish Out of Office, yeah, Sammy. And
1: thank you so much for having me.
0: Hug on the air. We always end with a hug on the air. <laughs> Woohoo! And we're back with fish out of agua on radio free brooklyn that song was hungry ghost by hooray for the riffraff from their the navigator album in 2017 see i can play new music when someone introduces me to it i had never heard of this band before and i am a new total and complete fan the lead singer Fabulous. Alinda Segara, who is a fellow PR and Bronx girl. Gee, I don't have any biases, huh? (laughs) I am totally a new fan. Um, A couple of announcements. I want to talk about RFB Teen Squad, our new after-school program, which teaches media and broadcasting skills to New York City teenagers aged 13 to 18, led by broadcasting professionals at our studios in Bushwick. We are just about to start our spring session, April, which will begin on April 29th, and uh, teenagers will learn audio production, live broadcasting, reporting and news gathering, interviewing techniques, journalistic best practices, and, very important, media, ethics, and responsibility. It's free to New York City middle and high school students aged 13 to 18. For more information or to apply, Go to radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash teen squad.
3: <laughs>
0: Nothing to be alarmed about here, kids. <laughs> I just wanted to alert you all to the fact that Radio Free Brooklyn does have a newsletter, a monthly newsletter called Radio Free Brooklyn. And if you had received it last month, you would have learned all about the Teen Squad program and how we were on Fox 5 and so much more. So just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and look for the tab that says Newsletter and sign up. Well, kids, that's our show. You have been listening once again to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're closing with the last of Sammy's song picks. Here Comes the Sun from the Beatles. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week.